Welcome to the study of the book of Revelation, taught by Michael Fitzgerald, senior pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes, which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. So as we begin tonight, we're grateful to be together in God's house. Why don't we start this moment with just a prayer together? Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you promise us in your word, especially in the book of Revelation, that if we simply read it, if we allow your word to penetrate our heart and our mind, you tell us that we simply in reading will be blessed. And so tonight, Father, I thank you for each one here tonight who comes those who will hear this study in a future day for the blessing, Father, that only you can give because we are opening your word in the sincere hope and and promise that we are going to understand it in a way that's going to bring us closer to you and also in a way that's going to make us a better disciple of yours as we take this good news out into the world. So bless us tonight. Thank you that we are here and thank you that we open your word. And Father, our simple prayer is that you will speak to us, myself included, that you will speak to us uh, through the magnificent word that you have given to us in Revelation. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we continue along in our study. We are toward the halfway point right now. If you remember, as I catch everybody up, the old Apostle John, the longest lived of the disciples, most of the disciples died as young men, most of them died as martyrs. However, God allowed the disciple John to live a long, long life Uh, toward the latter days of his life because he was preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. He was arrested by the Roman government and he was exiled to the prison island of Patmos and he spent much of his life there. Uh, And the simple reason he was on a prison island was because he was a preacher of the Lord. And one Sunday, it says on the Lord's day, one Sunday... God lifted him up to the throne room of heaven, and I remind you of this. I know I've said it many, many times, but I want you to know the outline of this book. He shows him three basic things. Number one, in chapter one, he shows John the glory of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, in chapters two and three, he gives John seven letters to be given to the seven churches on Asia Minor. The amazing thing about those letters, as we have already studied through them, is they address every issue, every problem, every praise that our church can go through this day. They are just comprehensive in what they teach. And then the third part of the outline of the book of Revelation, from chapter 4 forward to the end of the book, we have a prophecy of the future of the world and the future of God's people. Now, within Revelation, we get the final confirmation of heaven for the saved and hell for the lost. And that is the absolute truth of the Bible. I think many have tried to whitewash that truth, and yet it cannot be taken away. That is God's word to us. The lost will will inherit hell, and the saved will inherit heaven. Now, early in this study, we saw the vision of the Lord Jesus Christ that John beheld. We have also studied the seven letters to the churches, and now we're in the middle of God's prophecy of future events. That is on your sheet. Now, the last days of earthly history will be immersed in what Revelation calls the Great Tribulation. This has not happened yet. It is still in the future of our world. This is God's release of His wrath. 
His punishment upon sin and sinners, upon those who reject Him, those who will not believe Him, those who will not come. It is God's final call to salvation. Now, I am a firm believer in the beginning of chapter 4, the church is raptured away. And you know, you see those letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor in chapters 2 and 3. However, when chapter 4 opens, as John is lifted to the throne room of heaven, the church is never mentioned again in the book of Revelation. I believe that the church has been raptured from this world. However, though the church age is closed, that does not mean that people will not be saved in the Great Tribulation. We have already studied that God is going to set forth 144,000 witnesses who are of the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel. And those witnesses are going to take the good news of Christ into the world. And, and a countless number of people are going to be saved through their witness. There will be many saved in the Great Tribulation, but it will not be through the church because the church has been raptured away. Now, also... We will see not only people saved, but we will see God's holy disposal of Satan and death and unrepentant sinners as we study through. Now, in this study, we have looked at the scroll of God, which was sealed with seven seals. Those seven seals have been opened one by one by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one who had the authority to be able to open the scroll. He gained that authority through the old rugged cross and his resurrection from the grave. No one else in heaven, from the Old Testament patriarchs to the New Testament saints, no one could handle the scroll except the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And he earned that authority by the cross and by the resurrection. So he, in his ultimate authority, was able to open each one of the seven seals. As the scroll is rolled up, it was sealed and rolled and sealed and rolled and sealed and rolled. And as it was unrolled, you come to each separate seal, and Jesus opens each one. And as he opens each separate seal, a portion of God's wrath is poured out on the earth and upon sin. Now, thus far, we have seen Jesus in this study open all seven of the seals, revealing the entirety of the scroll. With the final seventh seal, when that is broken, if you remember, this is on your sheet, contained in the opening of that seventh seal is seven angels blowing seven trumpets. Up to chapter 9, verse 13, we have studied six of those trumpet judgments. Each one of those six trumpet judgments are under the heading of the seventh seal that Jesus opens. Those few verses are actually uh, telling us what God does in pouring out his tribulations on the earth. Now tonight, we're going to look at the seventh trumpet of the seventh seal that's revealed to us. And keep your Bible open because we're going to move into chapter 12 after we study these few verses. But look at chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. That's where we pick up our study. Hear these words of the seventh trumpet of the seventh seal. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art 
and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that thou shouldst give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, to them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldst destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. We'll study this portion and move on to another portion in chapter 12. But as we conclude chapter 11, I want you to mark this down. If you write in your Bible, write this down. These verses are the climax of the book of Revelation. This is the high point of Revelation. Now, if you look at verse 15, Revised Standard Version and New International Version say, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. King James Version says, the kingdoms of the world are become the kingdoms of our Lord. The Living Bible says, the kingdom of this world now belongs to our Lord. That is the definitive indication that while Satan and sin had a hand in the events of this world from the time of Adam and Eve, God is climaxing history now. And he is saying, and this is on your sheet, I am now reclaiming, I reclaim my creation. It belongs to me. I created it through my son. I have redeemed it. And I am now going to set the record straight as to truly who is in control for all eternity. And so what we see, the kingdoms of the world are now transferring to the kingdom of God, the climax of the book. When this seventh trumpet of the seventh seal blows, the 24 elders who surround the throne of God fall to worship him. And as old John watches in amazement, the heavenly temple of God opens. This is almost inexpressible, but what John sees is the ark of God's testament. Another way to put that, this is the ark of God's promise of salvation to every person who comes to Jesus Christ in faith and belief. The ark of God's promise in the Holy of Holies. If you remember the ark of God, Exodus chapter 25, God commissions Moses to build an ark, a gold box, a symbol of his presence uh, with the Israelites. My little human words will never be able to do justice to this ark that is in the Holy of Holies and in this awesome picture that God reveals to John the disciple. But John actually beholds the physical sight of God's redeeming power for every believer. John somehow physically sees God's redemption as he sees the ark of the testament, the ark of the promise of salvation to every believer. He beholds the covenant that God made with everyone at Calvary when Jesus died, when Jesus rose from the grave, that every person who confesses with his or her lips, every person who believes in his or her heart, not only Jesus' death on the cross, but also his resurrection from the grave, 
everyone who places their faith in that dying but living Lord will be saved. It's not a might be saved, can be saved, could be saved, but the Scripture says will be saved. That is the ark of God's testament. That is his promise. And of course, the the New Testament reflection of that is Romans chapter 10, verse 9. God is saying here at his heavenly holy of holies, as we see it in chapter 11 of Revelation, I will never break that promise. Do you remember in Genesis, uh, God made a promise that he would never again take the life of the earth through water. What's the symbol of that? The rainbow. When we see the rainbow, that is the testament of God's promise that he will never again bring a flood like he did in Noah's day. But God says in his word, I have promised, the ark of the testament is my testimony, I have promised that anyone who comes to my son in belief will be saved. And I will not break that promise. Years ago, I remember going uh, to the bedside of Ron Wood, who was the sheriff of Nelson County, uh, a character in and of himself, uh, but uh, he had had a very major stroke. And the days seemed to be getting short for Ron at that moment, and it's true, within the next few days, he did pass away. However, when I went to visit with him and with the family at his bedside at Lynchburg General Hospital, there was another pastor who came. Uh, a leader of a black congregation and a great, great man of God. And I enjoyed meeting him that day, and I've seen him several times since. But before he left that day, he called us all together in prayer, and he, he began his prayer this way. It's a way that I will never forget, and I've thought about it so many times. He began by saying, Oh God, there is one thing that you cannot do, and that is fail." And I have thought about that over and over again. God will never fail his promise to anyone who comes by faith to Jesus Christ. Believing, confessing, will, will be saved. He says, you can lay your sin aside because Jesus Christ has paid the price on the old rugged cross and through his resurrection. That is the climaxing message of the book of Revelation. And it is the climaxing message of the entire Bible. If you brought it all down and boiled it all down, is Jesus saves. Those two words, Jesus saves anyone who comes to him. He and he alone saves. It is the unbreakable, undeniable, unending, unrelenting, irrevocable promise of God. Anyone who comes will be saved through Christ. That's the message of Revelation. That's the message of the Bible. Now, tonight we're going to step into chapter 12. And here's what we find as we open chapter 12. God has said, as he climaxes this book, creation, the kingdoms of the world are mine. And now I am going to assert my final control and authority. I'm going to assert my hand of power into human history. God has made the statement of his final authority. That word is on your sheet, his final authority. But while God makes that statement, there are still some skirmishes that are going to be dealt with before 
all of the world's kingdom passes to the kingdom of God. Satan and human beings are still in this skirmish that is going to take place before it all ends. From chapter 12 forward in the book of Revelation, we're going to see Satan's final gasping attempts to challenge God. Now, we've read the end of the book, and we know who's going to win. We know the victor is going to be the Lord God Almighty. Satan will be defeated. So we're going to take a look at chapter 12, verses 1 through 6 tonight. And these verses show us that old Satan once again raises his ugly head one more time to thwart in an attempt God's plan of salvation and to throw it off track. It cannot happen. We know that's true. But this is the account of what Satan will do. So look at chapter 12, verses 1 through 6 tonight. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. So as we look at these six verses, we see John writing down the truth that he sees a sign in heaven. This sign points to the symbolic nature of the truth of God that we're going to study here in a moment. John sees a woman. Now, remember, this is symbolism. This is a symbolic picture. She is clothed with the brightness of the sun. Uh, the moon is at her feet, and on her head is a garland with 12 stars. This woman is symbolic of the nation of Israel. Uh, and, of course, the 12 stars represent the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, the sons of Jacob, called of God to be the light of God's presence to all the nations. Do you remember that that's the primary task that God chose the Jews for, was to be the light to all the nations of the world of his love, of his power, uh, and of his ability to lead his people. Now, it says here that this woman's footstool is the moon. Why the moon? Because only God can shine like the sun. All who are servants of his are like the moon in that we reflect his power. His power doesn't originate from within us, but rather it's reflective of his power, his being. So this woman Israel is pregnant, you see. She's ready to give birth. Who is the child that she bears? It's a very obvious answer. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. And the Savior, of course, comes from the nation of Israel. Notice that this is not a description of Mary. This is a description of the nation from which he comes. He comes from Israel, from the Jewish lineage. And then John sees another sign. 
A seven-headed dragon. What does the number stand for? It stands for power, and the number stands for a perfection in power. You will notice a seven-headed dragon with a crown on every head, ten horns. All of that symbolizes great, great earthly power. Do you remember Jesus himself in John chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus calls Satan the prince of this world. And I think rightly so. Satan has much power here. We see him in this red dragon as having great power. Notice in verse 4 of chapter 12 that the dragon's tail sweeps one-third of the stars out of heaven. That means, and of course, this is not in the Great Tribulation. This is something that happened many, many years, centuries ago. When Satan rebelled against God, Satan persuaded one-third of God's angels to rebel with him against the Lord God Almighty. And they, of course, become the demon force that still does exist to this day. So one-third of God's angelic force becomes the demonic force of Satan. That's bad news. But here's the good news. For every one demon, there are two angels. Satan cannot win. Satan does not have that power, that control. So as Israel is about to bring forth the Christ child, this old dragon, Satan himself, is poised, ready to kill the Christ child. And of course, you remember Herod's decree to massacre all of the male children in Bethlehem and in the surrounding area. That was Satan's plan that was born through Herod. But Satan's plan was to destroy Jesus at birth. It failed. He was not destroyed. Many, many male children were, but Jesus was not. You also remember Satan's temptation for Jesus to throw himself off of the pinnacle of God's temple. That was Satan's plan to destroy Jesus as a young man. His plan failed. Satan tried to discredit and maim and cripple and thwart and stop Jesus at every turn of his life and particularly in his three-year ministry. And at the end of that three-year ministry, Satan thought that he had won the battle because he saw Jesus die on the cross. And though the Roman soldiers and many were behind that plan, it was Satan himself who was the original planner of that plan. Satan thought that he had won the battle when Jesus died on the cross. And yet, Jesus rose from the dead and overcame Satan's power. Jesus has proven himself over and over to be the mighty Son of God and his Jesus' past victories point us to the future. If he has been a victor in all things in the past, is it not true that he will be a victor in all things in the future? Yes, it is true. And we can say hallelujah to that truth, that we've seen the past, and we know what's happened in the past, and Jesus has won, and Jesus will win again and again and again. And the kingdoms of men will become the kingdom of God because he is going to win that battle. Satan has tried also to wipe out the nation of Israel. I don't think there's any nation that's been more tormented and persecuted than the nation of Israel, the Jews, God's chosen people. For centuries, they have been persecuted. And, of course, one of the most recent persecutions that, that uh, 
came just before I was born, the Holocaust that they went through uh, in Nazi Germany. But in verse 6, it tells us that even within the Great Tribulation, God is going to protect and shelter and feed his people. Notice that? This woman who represents the nation of Israel is taken care of and she is protected through the Great Tribulation. Remember again that the 144,000 witnesses that will be spread around the world to testify about the good news of Jesus Christ where there are Jews who come to Christ as Savior and draw countless numbers to him in salvation. God is going to protect his people during the Great Tribulation and he is going to preserve them to the end. The Jews, the, the nation of Israel will never be destroyed on this earth. He will preserve them to the end of human history. Now, as we look at these few verses that we've studied tonight, what's the value of this study as we look at uh, the close of chapter 11 and the opening of chapter 12? There's one main message here. We cannot miss this message. Through Jesus Christ, we are victors over Satan. We are victors over death. We are victors over hell. I think it is best summed up as Paul writes Romans chapter 8. Just hear these words if you would like to write down the references. Romans chapter 8 verses 35 through 39. Paul expressed it this way. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not one creature, not even Satan himself, can separate us from the love and the salvation and the promise of God that comes through Jesus Christ. We are victors because of him. What Paul is saying there, what God says through Revelation and through the Bible is no matter what comes against us, be it trials or tribulations or threats of punishment or sickness or death or the grave or even Satan himself, whatever comes against us, God has a perfect plan for you and me. And God has a perfect salvation for every believer in the Lord Christ. He simply says you must do this one thing to to be a part of the umbrella of all these promises that will cover you and will cover your life. You have to do one thing. You must, must, must come to my son Jesus in faith. You can't be uh, claiming those promises because you're a good person. You don't claim the promises because you're moral. You don't claim the promises because you're a faithful spouse or a good parent. You don't claim the promises because you have a dozen church jobs. You claim the promises only by one way, the way and the truth and the life that we know as Jesus, the son of God. That is the Bible's truth. Accept that truth and all of these promises belong to you and to me. No matter what might happen in our lives, God promises us the victory. Amen? He promises us the victory. We will win because Jesus is going to win. So Christians tonight, no matter what you or I might be facing, no matter what kind of battle or hurt or problem that you're fighting, the Bible's promise to you is this. 
The mighty God is on your side. And he is going to take care of you. That is truth. And we know that he is going to win every battle. And we're going to belong to him. The kingdom of this world will be the kingdom of God. So we stand up and we walk forth in him. We claim that promise for ourselves, But also we are to proclaim that promise to others. We are a missionary force in this world. We're not to hold it to ourselves, but rather we're to give it away so that others might know the Savior. That's why you and I live. If you are saved tonight, if you know Jesus as your Savior tonight, there is a purpose for your life and mine, and that is to tell this good news. That is to share this good news. That's why you and I will be allowed to get up in the morning so that we can use tomorrow to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. We want to share the victory that Christ has given to us Now, we know one day, and we see this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. When God claims his property as his own, Satan, all the demons, all the atheists, all the unbelievers, as well as those who are believers and those who are saved and those who are servants, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that we are under the authority of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean everybody will be saved, but everybody will proclaim Christ as Lord. That is the truth. Tonight, if there's one person here who has never, as Jim Hooker says, name the name, if you've never come to Christ as Savior, he's waiting for you. He has won the battle for your forgiveness. He won that battle on the old rugged cross and when he walked from the grave in life. If you need him, Talk to Pastor Clyde. Talk to me. Uh, Talk to a trusted Christian brother or sister. And we will make sure you understand that good news that belongs to you when you simply say, Lord Jesus, I do claim you as my Savior. I am a sinner. I am sorry for my sin. I repent of that. I'm in sorrow. And I need you to forgive me and to move into my life as my Savior. What good news that is. And it is ours to share. We are victors. And we take that victory into the world.